Well, pray with me one more time, and then we're going to return to our study, the book of Psalms. Today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 17. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for just the opportunity to be here and so moved by those lyrics, Lord, that that but God, yet God reality. That all of us were on this conveyor belt away from you. We deserved judgment. We deserved justice. But in your great grace, you gave us mercy instead. Those of us who have been converted, we've had a but God moment. And those of us who have been born again, we just have years of yet God experiences. Father God, that's the, the, the ground of our praise of you today. You have done so much good in our lives. And Lord, as we, as we look at a lament psalm today, a, a psalm that, that has a but God turn to it, I pray, Father, that no matter what trial, no matter what attack, no matter what trap that we're in today, that we would trust you knowing that you're a God who gives us good grace over and over again. Lord, to that end, we just invite your spirit to come, that he would do that work that only he can do, of of giving us eyes to see the truth of the gospel, of, of giving us the gift of faith, of helping us turn from sin and wickedness and and encouraging us where we need encouragement, where we're discouraged. So Lord, we just invite your spirit to come and do his work today. Lord, finally, we, we confess that you speak to us primarily through your word. So spirit, give us ears to hear you today as we look at your word. I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word. I'd simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, this feels like when my parents got a divorce. That, that was my, my buddy's comment that perfectly captured the moment that we were walking through. Our, our church was in the middle of a church split, and, and everyone was reeling. Everyone was confused. Everyone was angry. Like, like emotions were raw. Accusations were flying all over the place. We were all kind of dazed and in disbelief. And even though that was 13 years ago for me, the, the ins and out of it really don't matter. The reality of it is, is anyone in leadership of that church, I think if you cornered them today and they could do a do-over on some things, I think they probably would. I, I know that I would. But for me, it, it, was, it was the most significant just leadership failure that I'd ever seen in a church. And, and it was, from my perspective, the, the church was healthy. The church had grown a lot. And, and I think that maybe led into some of the troubles of the church. When, it, when a church grows, there's these tensions they begin to feel. There's change that needs to happen, which is, which is always difficult. But, but from my perspective, the camaraderie of the staff was great. I loved my role. Chris and I were leading the, the young adult ministry at this church. And over a few short years, it had grown from a handful of kids to over 100 kids. And we were meeting on Sunday night for worship. We were working hard, but we were loving life. But, but in a few short days, the, the elder team fired the pastor, and then just chaos followed. And, and for me, the, the most painful thing was, was losing the relationships and losing the mentors. And, and even though it's 13 years later, m- many of those relationships have not been restored for me. 
And it's the relationships that hurt. And so when my buddy said that this feels like his parents' divorce, I totally understood the comment. I totally got what he was getting at. Because the church is filled with imperfect people. Every church, this church and every church, because it's filled with imperfect people, most of us will experience some sort of what I call church hurt. It's just baked into the cake of it, okay? And listen, because the church is all about, and I think it, and it should be this way, because churches are all about relationships, then, then that means that honest disagreements are going to come up of, about vision and direction. And those things can quickly get really personal. And, and because, and again, I think it should be this way, because church is all about these deep convictions, addressing just normal operational issues that every business or every charity, every organization feels. In, in a church, that can feel like a trap. So how are we supposed to respond when, when we are trapped? How are we supposed to respond when we're under attack? Psalm 17 is so important because it is this desperate cry for help. The psalmist is, is, is praying this prayer, but this isn't one of those polite, clean prayers. This is a guttural prayer coming from a desperate man who is trapped and under attack. And the reason why this psalm is so important is because everyone will go through similar experiences. If, I assure you, if you haven't already, you're going to be in the moment, in a season of your life, where you're trapped or where you're under attack. And we tend to think, okay, if I can only get to this certain place, the certain number, the certain date, then everything will be smooth sailing at that point. And friends, that's not the truth, Okay. You're going to get to that number, you're going to get to that date, you're going to get to that moment, and there's going to be a different storm that you didn't even expect, and it's going to hit you in fresh ways. Listen, you probably have been where the psalmist has been, and I'm telling you, you're going to be there again in some form or some fashion. That's why this psalm is important. This psalm is important because it serves kind of as a guide in those moments. In those moments when we feel trapped, when we feel like we're under attack, Psalm 17 is a guide. And listen, the natural response, not the supernatural response, but the natural, if you're just floating along, the natural response in those moments is to blame God and go away from Him. And that's what most people do. Sadly, people waste years in those moments blaming God for something. And sadly, they then become ensnared in a further trap of anger and bitterness. And also, others spend energy blaming God as if He's the one who has attacked them. And the problem is, they miss the solution. They miss that God is, and trusting Him is actually our guide through it. And so they totally miss it. So we need Psalm 17 because we need a guide. We're going to see that when you are trapped or under attack, number one, you need to evaluate your life. Number two, you need to cry out to God for help. Number three, you need to understand the trap or the attack. You need to keep seeking God for salvation, and then you need to resolve to trust Him. Let's start in the first five verses in this call to evaluate your life. Psalm 17.1 says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Let's stop there. Again, this is a desperate, authentic cry. Do you see it? He's trapped. He's under attack. And he cries out to God for help. This is a classic lament psalm. This is one of those psalms that begins with a problem before it gets to the solution. 
And if you were with us earlier in the spring, we did a study called Battling Bitterness where we were dealing with, okay, what are the tools in our tool belt when we become bitter to fight that? And one of them is lament. And in the, in the fall, we, we looked at, or in the spring, we looked at uh, Psalm 22, and we talked about this structure of lament. Similar to Psalm 22, Psalm 17 is also lament and, and kind of follows a similar structure to where it starts with this, and, and it's sort of paradoxical for most people. It starts with this honest, very authentic cry about what's wrong. It starts with a problem. But it doesn't stay there. It doesn't just stop there, just laying you know, those complaints upon the Lord. It eventually gets to this place where, where the psalmist then trusts the promises of God. So it, it's authentic about the problem, but it's also authentic about the promises. And that's the way through it. In, in these psalms, there's always this yet God, but God moment where there's a turn. This is wrong. This is happening. This is going on. Where are you? Why don't you hear my prayers? Yet, God, I'm going to trust you. That's the pattern of a lament psalm, and that's the pattern of Psalm 17. So he starts with being authentic about the fact that he's trapped and that he's under attack. Now, we don't know the specifics, okay? And, and actually, I think that that's helpful. That's pretty common in the psalms. We don't know the specific of why he's under attack or, or why he's trapped. That, that's helpful because it kind of frees us up to kind of pull principles from it. So, so maybe you're not going through the exact same thing that he was going through, but you're going to go through something similar. And so we can mine these principles from it. But also, like all good laments, Psalm 17, it's faithful to take, uh, to take the problems to the Lord. You see, the psalmist, he's not wasting time. He's not wasting years like, you know, like creating all these arguments, deconstructing God or blaming God for something. He's saying, no, 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 no. These things are going on, but I'm taking them to you. I know the problems of the world, but, but you're my solution. You see, he understands that God is strong enough to bear these burdens. He understands that God is good enough to care and to help. Therefore, he doesn't waste time blaming God or, or creating this deconstructed view of who God is and then running away from him. He, he goes straight to God and he trusts him. And notice that he trusts him really for, for two key reasons. The first one is, is that, that God should help the psalmist because as you see in verse 1, that he is free of deceit. Do you see that in verse 1? You see, the reason why he's crying out, God help me. And the reason being is, is I am free from deceit. Now embedded in that is a belief that God is a just God. Like God cares about the integrity of his heart. So he's evaluating his life. He's laying that before the Lord. And he's saying, listen, you care about integrity. You care about the integrity of the heart. And I am free from deceit. That's related to the second reason why he goes before him. In verse 2, he talks about that, that um, you know, as, as he looks at this, that God is sovereignly seeing that all things in his eyes behold what is right. In other words, again, God cares about integrity. He cares about what is right. And as he not only looks at the condition of his heart, he looks at the behaviors of his life, and he's saying, listen, I, you, you can behold what is right here. I'm innocent before you. Now listen, if God doesn't care about what's right and wrong, if God isn't a just God, then these aren't good reasons to ask for his help. But God does care about those things, and that's why he brings them to. Finally, the psalmist believed that, uh, that he was innocent and that God is just. Therefore, he felt confident going to the Lord for help. Now, related, when you're innocent, you can also go to that same just God for help. 
He cares about what is right and wrong. And when you're treated wrongly, He cares about that. And you can go to Him. God is always with you. God is always for you, even when others are not. And they're not going to be all the time. And even when they're not, He is. And that's the good news of today. But was the psalmist truly innocent? Look at verse verse 3. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. He does a, a couple of, there's a couple of different interesting patterns in here that are kind of beautiful that, that really highlight this first point that I want you to see, that he evaluated his life. When he was trapped... When he was under attack, the first thing that he does is he evaluates his life. He says in verse 3 that you tried, you have visited, you have tested. So innocence begins at the heart. He's tried his heart, he's evaluated his heart, and he's concluded that he's innocent. However, in integrity of character, it's also what we do, and specifically what we do at night, like meaning when nobody's watching. Like, like he says, listen, you visited me at night and you've seen I'm innocent. And, and then he goes on to say, and, and you've tested me. And, and that's a great comment because when we're stretched, that's when we find out if we're faithful. Like it's easy to be faithful, like everybody is cheerleading you and there's no struggles in life. But, but like when, 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 when money is tight, when health isn't great, when you're stretched, that's when you find out who you really are, right? And so he's saying, listen, you've tested me. And I've proven to be faithful. And he goes further in verse 4 that further than just being tried and visited and tested, he found that these innocent works, words, and ways. So through this evaluation, he reviewed all that he did, all that he said. He checked his heart. He was, he was angry. He felt mistreated. That's certainly true. But he also says that it didn't lead to sinful violence. There wasn't cussing and punching holes in walls in his life. He, he was faithful. He says in verse 5 that my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. So as he evaluated his life, listen, he's not perfect, but, but he's saying he's innocent. I, I, I've proven faithful. He's found faithfulness as he evaluated his life. Now, as a result, Psalm 17, 1-5, it teaches us that when we're trapped, when we're under attack, we should first evaluate our life. We should do that, that heart check. When you face a trial, are, are you quick to justify your actions and, and blame the other person? Like, like, that's where I go first, okay? So if you're there, you're, <laughs> I'm with you, okay? Is, is that how you tend to respond? Well, like when you feel surrounded by hurtful accusations, do, do you do the difficult work of trying to determine, okay, maybe there's this kernel of truth in here. But like, like, do you go there, if you are wrong, even in some small way, confess it and repent of it? But again, as the psalmist, as, as he evaluated his life, he found innocence there, okay? Now, I actually think that's a very important point because sometimes in our insecurity or sometimes in our, in our false humility, like, like, like we can admit things that were wrong and confess sins that, that really aren't sins, like, like, there are times in your life where you're going to evaluate and you're like, I really am innocent here. Like, what you're doing to me is wrong. That's what's going on here. But in the end, the principle is this, that when you're trapped or when you're attacked, evaluate your life. Number two, 
cry out for help. Look at verses 6 to 9. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. When he's attacked, when he's trapped, he evaluates his life, but then he cries out to God for help. There's kind of what I think is a beautiful like spiraling up that happens here. He's going to go high here, okay? He's going to go up into the clouds. He's going to climb up into all of God's glory. He's going to claim the, these glorious things about God as the reason for why God should help him. So he's spiraling up. He's going to these glorious things about God and his promises and who he is to say, listen, I need help. You're the solution. And then he's going to claim certain things about God. So his problem was is that he's trapped and he's under attack. But the solution is God. God's the solution. Do you see that there? God's where he turns for help. So when you're attacked at work or, or you find yourself trapped with your family, do you turn to God for help? When, when, when money is the problem, is God the solution? Like when, when, when your thorns of the flesh, when, when, they start, when they start stabbing you again, do, do you go deeper in your relationship with God? Is God the solution for you in those moments? But why? Why should God be the solution? Well, because God answers our cries for help. He turns to Him because He says, listen, you answer cries from your people. So we can climb up the staircase of God's glorious covenant grace when we need help because God answers our prayers. Notice in verse 7 that the psalmist cried out to God once again to show His steadfast love. Now, if you're new with us, that steadfast love, the Hebrew word there is hesed, and that's the theme of the book of Psalm. Over and over again, the psalmist go back to God's steadfast love. That God's love remains steadfast. It's not a conditional love. Everybody else in your life probably gives you conditional love, but not God. His love remains steadfast. It's different than everybody else's love. It's not conditional. It's not there you know, when you're successful, but then nobody's around when you fail. It's not there you know, when you're feeling great, but then when you're hurting, it's gone. It's not there when you're living faithfully, but then God's like, nope, I'm done when you're living sinfully. His love remains. It's based upon uh, Him. It's, it's unconditional because it's based upon His covenant promise. He promises to love you steadfastly. That's His covenant promise to you. It's not based upon how good you are or bad you are. It, it's based upon Him. He promises that to you. And more specifically, the psalmist cries out to God, reminding God that He is the Savior of those who seek refuge. Verse 7. So, because of God's steadfast love, He saves those who have a need. Do you see that? He, he becomes this, this refuge covering and caring for us, comforting us when we need Him. And again, because He loves us, He promises to save and protect and care for us. That's why we can cry out to Him. There's this beautiful hand image that's going on here. When He's trapped, God's hand can spring Him loose from His trap. Like when, when he's attacked, God's hand can serve as a shield protecting and caring for him. That, that's why you cry out to him. Friends, when you are trapped or under attack, cry out to him for help. Look at verses 8 and 9. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence. 
my deadly enemies who surround me. He starts getting really specific here. He asked God to continue to, to continue with this steadfast love, to, to genuinely love Him, the apple of my eye. He's saying, listen, you have cherished me. You've given me this unhindered, heartfelt love, and don't stop. He also asked God to, to help him by covering and caring for him. That, that's what's behind that image of being the, the shadow of your wings. That prayer is about care. It's about asking God to move from the affections of his heart to the actions. He's asking him for action. Like, cover me, be my shield, care for me. So when you're trapped and under attack, cry out to God for help. He hears you. He loves you. His hands are strong enough to comfort and care for you. Cry out to him because of his love and cry out to him because of his promise to cover and care for you. Well, number three, understand the attack. Look at 10 through 12. Those, uh, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. When we're surrounded and when we're trapped, we need to evaluate our lives. We need to cry out to God for help. But I would also challenge you that you need to take a moment and understand the attack. In, in these Three verses, he, he explains how his attackers, number one, they lack pity, but are full of pride. Number two, they surround him in order to destroy him. And then he gives you this, this uh, image of, of a ruthless lion just waiting to pounce on him. That, that's the nature of what's going on here. Now, in general, all traps, all attacks, are, they're either rooted in the fleshly realm or they're rooted in the spiritual realm. Now, now we don't always understand which realm it is, and that's okay because you... You kind of battle them the same way. But what he's calling us here is to understand what's going on. Ask the why questions. Why are you, are you being treated this way? What, what's the end goal of why they're treating you this way? What, what's going on in their heart? What's causing them to treat you this way? Um, my teenage son and I, we, there's a sketch comedy show that we like. And, and it, it's, it's, this is a terrible illustration. Okay, just hang with me. The... Um, we text back and forth these little YouTube bits of this show. We think it's funny. Maybe this is not funny at all. There's a, this is a terrible illustration, but for two of you, you might like it. There's a, there's a skit that we like. It's called The Wise Bully. It's ridiculous, okay? So the scene goes like this. So it opens with this middle school kid, and he's sitting there with his ball cap on, and he's reading a book, you know, just kind of focused on his book. And then the bully comes along with all of his buddy. And, and the bully comes along, and he slaps the... The, the book away, you know, from the kid. And so the kid looks up. He's like, hey, man, why you got to do that? And here's what the bully responds with. I'm not doing very well in school. I read at the third grade level. I, I really don't want to get left back. So when I see somebody reading for fun, it makes me feel that much more stupid. Then I get mad. And then there's this goofy back and forth. It, this is a dumb illustration, okay? But you get what I'm saying, right? Like, like the wise bully, okay? Like the wise bully, take a moment and just understand. Just understand what's going on. Like, like, why are they treating you this way? And, and listen, be careful in that moment. Don't like deify yourself and then overly vilify them. Like also, be, be really careful not to, uh, to justify yourself and then just totally vilify your enemies. But like, try to understand it at a spiritual level. So you're, when you're in those seasons, you know, remember the wise bully and, and try to understand what's really going on. Number four. 
Keep seeking God for salvation. 13 and 14 say, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord. From men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. One of the great aspects, I think, of the structure of this psalm is sometimes the way a a passage is structured is really helpful. Like it, it starts in one place, and then he kind of he kind of veers off into into maybe the problem. But now he's like he's like veering back in a, in another direction. These kind of veering back and forth are really helpful because it, by veering into the problem and then veering back into the solution, what he's highlighting here is is that that sometimes there's a journey to this. That like we need to keep seeking God for salvation. So maybe there's a moment in this trial where like, man, you started strong. <laughs> like you were really faithful to the Lord with something. And then as time went by, I mean, you, you veered off into something else. And he's calling you, listen, veer back over here. Veer back into really believing that God is with you and for you. Listen, as long as you live, people are going to hurt you. You're going to have these moments where you're here, you veer off into this struggle. And he's just calling you to, to veer back into faithfully following to continue to trust Him. Friends, as long as you have a family, people are going to hurt you. As long as you have friends, people are going to hurt you. As long as you have a job, people are going to hurt you. As long as you're in a church, people are going to hurt you. Now the answer is not put up walls. The answer is not don't have a family. Abandon your friendships. The, the answer is not, you know, quit your job or, or to deconstruct your faith and never settle into a, a church family. The reason why that's not the answer is because life is worse there. Life is worse there. Like life is better with family and friends and job and church home. The, the answer is to continue to seek God for salvation. When you're in that trap again, when you're in that attack again, He's saying, listen, come back to Him again. Like when they surround you again, believe again that God's hand can serve as a shield and comfort and care for you. Cry out to God for help again. Like cry out to Him to rise up and help you again. Cry out to Him to comfort and subdue again. Cry out for Him to to deliver you again. Remember that His love is steadfast. If you're there again, His love is still there. Cry out to Him for help. And that's a great place to end, to resolve to trust Him. This final verse is is a great ending, a classic ending to a lament psalm. It's this resolve to trust Him. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be steadfast with your likeness. Psalm 17 ends where all the great lament psalms end, a resolve to trust Him. Even though He's trapped, even though He's attacked, He resolves to trust in God. Others take a different direction around Him. But this is His resolve, to behold God and be satisfied in Him. And notice that His resolve is personal. I'm going to do this. I'm going to resolve to trust in who? In God. The resolve is, is personal on both ends. You see, Psalm 17, 15, it's an, it's an important place to end. It's important because for the rest of your life, you're going to be in these seasons of trap and attack. And the solution is not to become a hermit 
and hide away with your Netflix, okay? There's other traps and attacks that come there, okay? There's these spiritual things that happen. That, that, that's not the solution. It's not to pull away from people. But listen, for the rest of your life, you're going to have moments where you're going to get hurt, you're going to get fired, you're going to get betrayed. Many in our generation are experiencing hurt in relationships, and they're blaming God for it. And what's happening there, instead of resolving to trust Him, they're accusing God, then they redefine Him, they deconstruct Him, they fall away from Him. And the problem with that approach is, is that, they, that by not trusting Him in that moment, that they don't get through the hurt. Like, this is the way you get through it. You trust Him. You resolve to trust Him. That's how you get through it. Again, Psalm 17 is a guide on how to, to navigate it. As long as you're pinging around, hitting other people, you're going to get hurt. But, but the solution is not to, to pull away. That's a trap. The solution is to, to turn to Him as your protector. To turn to Him as the one who can be your shield from the attackers. The one you can turn to Him where His hand springs you from the trap. He's the solution. Resolve to trust Him. And by Him, I mean Him. Trust Him, okay? Listen, we, we live in a world, we live in a, in a, in a world where uh, the world is very okay with you having this very impersonal faith and faith. I have no idea what that means, okay? Anyone who says that, they have no idea what it means. It, it's plastic, it's fake, it's phony, and the world is totally fine with you having that. But when you start talking about a specific faith, in a specific person, there's some depth to that. That's profound. That's personal. And that's what the psalmist does. It's not this generic cat poster saying, I have faith in faith. What? Okay, I don't know what that means. He goes into the presence of God. You see a difference here? When trapped and attacked, he runs straight to the face of God. He goes into the temple is where he goes. You know what he finds there? He finds peace. In the presence of God, he finds joy. He finds hope. His soul is satisfied there. That's what he finds there. He says, come what may, set the trap, bring on the attackers, because I'm going to find my salvation in the presence of the Lord. Do what you're going to do, but I'm going to find my satisfaction with God. You remember 1 John 3, 2? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Friends, that's the good news. That's the good news of heaven. That's the good news of the future is that you're with Him. Brothers and sisters, your hope is not a life free of traps and attacks. It's in the joy of being in God's presence. I'm not going to pretend that you're not going to face traps and attacks again in this life. You're going to. But that's not the good news. The good news is it's not, yeah, come to church regularly and then you're never going to have problems. That's not the gospel, okay? The good news is, is God's, you can be in God's presence when that happens. So resolve to seek Him no matter the trap and no matter the attack. Psalm 17, it closes uh, with this resolve to be in the presence of God. That, that's the solution. That, that's the good news here. Many scholars call this a temple psalm. So some scholars think that really what he's talking about is he literally went into the temple is really what he's getting at. But, but if the solution is to go into the presence of God, if that's the good news of this passage, how do we do that? 
Um, when I was in college, I, I stumbled upon a, a really small little book. And what it was is it was a, a preservation of, of a bunch of, a series of letters that this 17th century monk had written. And, and they found these letters, they preserved them. They were all thematic on the theme of being in the presence of God. The little book is called Practicing Being in the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence, he had this a very similar experience as the psalmist here. But, but here's what he said about being in the presence of God. He says, I, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live life satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For, for my part, I've kept myself retired with Him in the depth of center of my soul as much as I can. And while I am so with Him, I fear nothing. Can I give you some of Brother Lawrence's wisdom on how to be in God's presence? If that's the good news of, the, of this passage, how do we do it? But let me give you five things. Number one, similar to the psalmist, he taught that that we should strive for, quote, great purity of life. What he was getting at was, was fighting for faithfulness. You see, when, when you give yourself over to, to sin in your life, there's all sorts of other traps and, and attacks that come, right? Number two, he said that, that uh, he talked about, quote, keeping the soul's gaze fixed on God and faith. And listen, that takes intentionality, Right? Like, I don't naturally wake up and just fix my eyes gazing on the glories of God. That takes real intentionality. Third, he talked about that we need to look to God before looking to anything else. Not only does that take intentionality, that takes time. Like, like that means that when we get up in the morning, as well as throughout the day, we are turning our eyes up to Him. We're looking to Him. That also requires us to slow down a bit. Maybe you need to slow down today in order to fix your eyes up on Him. Number four, pray prayers of praise and gratitude throughout the day. Listen, practicing the presence of God, that's about prayer life, okay? And it's about a healthy prayer life. But adding to your prayer life this, these prayers of praise, praising Him for what He's done. Do you stop and praise Him for the mercy that He's given you? Like when you've deserved justice and then God's given you mercy, do you praise Him for that? Do you praise Him for that in the morning and, and throughout the day? And listen, do you stop and, and praise Him for what like He's done for all His people throughout all of time? Like, like there's a sense of, of making that personal, but also going to these glorious covenant promises of God. One of the best things spiritually that I've gotten from my wife is that when I go, when I go get in her car, it's always worship music going. You go get in my truck, and there's always something stupid that I'm listening to. But like, like I've learned that, listen, when I'm driving around, I can be worshiping the Lord. Are, are, you, are you intentional even with worshiping God throughout the day? Number five, Brother Lawrence taught that to do this, we must kill or mortify the senses from finding delight in earthly things. Listen, your natural path, the natural thing that you go down is going to seek delight in all these little trinkets of the world. Brother Lawrence understood that you have to fight that. Brother Lawrence, from experience, explained that practicing being in the presence of God, it drew down God's grace abundantly. When you seek to be in His presence, it is this fountain of grace that comes down over your life. Friends, that's the good news. Like you might be scared in a trap or angry from the attacks, but you can also go into the temple and understand this is why Jesus died for you.
You remember the thief on the cross? The, the one who trusts him? Jesus says, truly, I say to you, today you will what? You will be with me in paradise. That's the good news. That's the hope that you can be in his presence. Jesus is the good news here. You see, being in his presence, that's the good news when we're trapped or attacked. Like, that's why he died on the cross. That's why he had atoned for your sins. Not for you just to keep on sinning how you did before, but, but for you to come into the temple, to come into his presence. And there you'll find what the psalmist found in verse 15, that you will be satisfied in his presence. That, that's his promise there. Friends, you will experience church hurt just like you're going to experience work hurt, family hurt, and friendship hurt. Now, I'm not whitewashing any of it, okay? I'm not justifying any of it, and I'm also not condemning you or criticizing you when it's painful. It's painful, okay? I'm sympathetic to it. It'll feel like a trap. You might face painful attacks. For me, that season around the church split, it just felt like a trap. Like I was falsely accused of some things. I, I was, certain people I just felt unsafe like talking to and sharing with. It, it hurt to lose friends and mentors. And, and some of the relationships are reconciled by God's grace, but not all of them are. But the good news is not, this is not the good news. The good news is not that you're never, ever, ever again going to be in a trap or be under attack. That's not the good news of, of Psalm 17. The good news is, is that when you are, Jesus died in order to bring you into his presence. Isn't that better than any trap or attack? Isn't it better just to be in his presence? Friend, when you're, a, when you're trapped, evaluate your life, cry out to God for help, understand the attack, keep seeking God for salvation, and resolve to trust him. Resolve to seek him, no matter the trap and no matter the attack. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this, this reminder. I know I have needed it this week. I've needed to be reminded of, of the goodness of your presence. Lord, I, I pray that, um, that as all of us walk through difficult things, I pray that our hope would not be that everything would be right in this world. It's not going to be. That's a false hope. I pray that our hope would be that we can come to you and that your Hands are strong enough to protect us, to spring us from the trap. That, that your hands are good enough to shield and care for us when we're attacked. Or may we turn to you and even resolve to trust you in all trials. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.